Last week, we looked at the same passage. We had the same reading, and we just looked at verses 1 and 2, and this week we're going to look at verses 3, 4, and 5. But just to do a bit of a recap on where we were last week, um, what was the first word, Levi, in the passage, as was just read to you about 45 seconds ago? Therefore, yeah, and when you read it, therefore, you ask, what is it? What is it therefore? It helps you to understand the meaning of the passage. And the reason that therefore is therefore is Paul's just told this wonderful story about a person who had great faith. Who was the person? Abraham. Abraham. We've got, we got some reasonable comment in the front row and some basic like ins, insomniac sort of sleeping in the back row. Um, so therefore, we, since we have been made right with God or justified through faith, um, justified, we look to that word, what, what does justified mean, Ben? You're doing a Bible college this year. Explain justified to the room. It's being right with God. Being right with God. That's exactly what it means. And what's the clever, easy way of remembering it? It is just as if, just as if I'd never sinned. Yeah, that, that, that's how it works. So if you see justified, it means it's just as if I'd never sinned. I'm right with God. Um, who knows what justified means now? Okay, we're just going to keep going on this one until you've all got it, okay. Justified means I'm right with God. It's just as if I... And I am therefore right with God. Isn't that amazing? That is what justification by faith means. This is the most revolutionary, world-changing doctrine that turned the whole church upside down about 500 years ago. Absolutely, everyone was sort of thinking, well, how do I get right with God? Do I work hard? Do I do lots of religion? And then suddenly someone clocked... I can be right with God if I trust God. It doesn't matter what I've done in the past. It doesn't matter what religious stuff I've done. It's not about balancing out my good karma or my bad karma. It's not whether I can walk over some perilous bridge towards God and I might get smited on my way to heaven. It is just if I put my trust in him, he makes me right with him. Did you get how big that is? It means that God looks at me and he says, you are right with me. I'm going to see next week just how incredible that is, because quite apart from deserving to be right with God, I was actually his enemy when he made me right with him. So I've got peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through which we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And I finished last week saying, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What a lovely thing to rejoice in, isn't it? The hope of the glory of God. I mean, I'm just so excited to see the glory of God. Have you ever read one of those Christian books where they tell you um, the story of their wonderful dream or their wonderful vision of the glory of God? I I just pulled one off my shelf the other day, and it's, it's this lovely sort of expansive story of this incredible spiritual experience someone had had. I'm rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Which is why the passage that we're looking at tonight is so extraordinary. Because it starts in the same way, I rejoice also in our sufferings. What a contrast, eh? On the one hand, you've got the dreamer rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. On the other hand, you've got the person who is living it out in a tough and real and difficult world. Nicola this morning told a story about disappointment. I I don't know how likely to get disappointed you are. It depends on your personality type, doesn't it? How disappointed you're likely to get. I'm quite an optimist, so disappointment comes to me really easily. (laughs) 
Nicola's a sort of, she calls it a realist. That's a, it's another word for pessimist. A realist. <laughs> and so she, she predicts what's going to go wrong ahead of time. And when she gets there and it hasn't gone as badly wrong as she thought it would, it's like fantastic. So Nicola's amazing in a crisis because she's already worked out the 17 different ways that it could go wrong before she gets there. Whereas I'm like blasé, presuming everything's going to be amazing. And then suddenly it's like, oh, that's a bit disappointing. And she was telling the story of uh, when one of the children was little and she saw the, uh, the dark, messy hands of the child and presumed that it was chocolate. And she um, did that disgusting thing that parents do that if you ever become a parent that you'll probably end up doing as well. She, she licked the hands and then realised that whichever one of our sprogs it was had put their hand in the flower pot. <laughs> and instead of licking chocolate, she was licking off mud from the flower pot. That's the nicer version of the story. <laughs> Let your imagination work. <laughs> we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? What a stupid thing to say. I mean, if something really awful happened to me, am I supposed to go, well, praise God? <laughs> I'm so delighted that I am suffering now. I've just lost my job, my career's down the tube, my health is gone, my relationships are in peril. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't this amazing? Well, that's not what we're supposed to do. That's not what we're supposed to do. Um, in fact, Jesus shows loads of compassion and when you hear his words in the gospel to suffering. He doesn't blase going around, oh, fantastic, you're suffering, you're going to learn loads of lessons. He's not a Greek stoicist who's just delighted by the peril coming your way. But, on the other hand, there are some things you only learn by suffering. And tonight's little message may be for you something for now, but it may equally be something for years or decades in the future. So so hold on to this, because when life gets tough, this is really, really important. It says this, we rejoice in our sufferings because there's a reason for it, why you could rejoice in your sufferings. It's the same word, boast in our sufferings. We're boasting about our sufferings. And we rejoice in them because we know We're confident that. We're sure that. Suffering will produce a string of things. The first of them is perseverance. Did did you ever see the film about Eddie the Eagle? Um, Some of you may be too young to have experienced this firsthand, but when I was growing up on on Newsround, John Craven's Newsround back in the day, um, there was this Olympic Winter Games story. It's the same Winter Games as the film Cool Runnings, which you've probably heard, the Jamaican bobsleigh team. The same Winter Olympics as that, there was a British guy who entered into the ski jumping event. Extraordinary character. As a child, he had been bedridden, and he had to have multiple operations on his legs. Um, and he was told by the doctor, you should take up reading as a hobby, because <laughs> frankly, you're never going to do anything more than sit on your bed and read all day. And this guy had just one of those minds that was just bloody-minded when he was told you can't do something. <laughs> he went and got on and did it. And so he, he was given a book about the Olympics. And he decided that he was going to become an Olympian because that would prove everyone wrong about him. So he started trying to throw broomsticks around to enter into the javelin. And he started running and jumping and doing the hurdles and, and kept failing at all of them. He was rubbish, but he was getting stronger and stronger as he did it. And then he discovered uh, the, the ski, uh, dry slope, ski slope and, and entered into becoming a skier and spent all his uh, limited income of his parents on, on skiing on dry slopes. Ended up joining the uh, middle-class snobs from the south uh, in, in one of the prequels to, to the Olympics. Uh, and they all sort of looked down on him. 
but he carried on. He got knocked off that team, and then he saw ski jumping. And we hadn't had a British entrant for ski jumping since 1934 or something like that. So he only had to jump 41 metres to get the British record. And the, the film, which is really worth watching, tells the story of how he does that and does that and does that and does that and perseveres again and again. And actually, you don't get to persevere in something unless there's a difficulty to persevere in. <laughs> yeah? Have you ever gone to the, the gym and you've tried to lift a weight and you've gone like that and it hasn't got, it hasn't got the pin in and you just go <laughs> like that? Oh, crikey. That happens to Simon all the time. It doesn't matter what weight's on it. That's how he's got those muscles there. But basically, when the pin's in, it gives you something to persevere against. The pin's not there. You don't get to persevere. There's something about difficulty that builds up your spiritual, emotional, mental, physical muscles, just like Eddie the Eagle did. Suffering produces perseverance. Friends, it's not a guarantee that it produces perseverance. You could have just sat on your bed and said, I'm taking up reading, and moped around and moaned and done nothing with your life whatsoever. But it gives the opportunity for perseverance. If you're in a relationship with someone, there's lots of opportunity for perseverance there. It's not easy always. You have to persevere. Suffering produces perseverance. Relationships produce perseverance. (laughs) Perseverance then leads you on to character. If you ever met someone who's had the easiest of lives... (laughs) Nothing's ever gone wrong for them. They were born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Every holiday they've wanted, they've had. Every club they wanted to join, they did. Uh, They're so flipping amazing at everything. They get all the grades, all the girls, all the guys, whatever it may be. Life's just easy for them. And ask yourself a second question. Are they the person you go to when life's difficult? It's possible. They may just have an amazing (coughs) empathy and ability to relate to other people around them gift but by and large the people we want to turn to when things are hard are people who have gone through some suffering perseverance and hence got that sympathetic character i remember someone i knew well he got to about 50 and her life just fell apart dramatically and she went being one of those people who could tell you exactly what you were doing wrong all the time and could tell you what everyone in the neighborhood was doing wrong to suddenly being someone that everyone else was turning to for help and advice because they could see a big gap in her life now, a vulnerability. And one of the things that we learn through life is what Scott Peck's written in his book, A Life Worth Living. It's a really simple thing. He says it's the key to the whole of life. Uh, You ready for it? The key to the whole of life. It was one of the best-selling books of the 20th century. Do you know what it is? Three words. Life is difficult life is difficult and he says those people who accept that are beginning to be on a journey towards wholeness inspired by his christian faith and that statement life is difficult those who accept it are beginning to be on a journey to wholeness for some people life is is not difficult they demand something they cry and scream and they get it those people are called babies <laughs> that's what they do they go and eventually someone comes along and shuts them up by giving them food or giving them a change of nappy or something like that. But if you want to grow up, you have to delay gratification. You have to delay getting what you want. That's part of becoming a mature human being, putting off something you know you want and not saying, I want it all and I want it now. If you're a pop star, it's hard to achieve. 
So suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. It's an incredible journey, isn't it? If you've been through suffering, perseverance, character. At the end of it, you come out with a sense of, I've been through that journey before. And I can get through it again. I know where I'm going. I know whose I am. Big story from the Bible. Uh, A young lad has a dream. Uh, In his dream, his whole family are involved. He tells his family the dream. They hate him. They reject him. They actually want to kill him. They end up selling him as a slave. He goes off to a foreign land where he's a slave in a household. Does really well. But his boss's wife wants to sleep with him and he says no to her he rejects her and she accuses him of being a rapist he gets slammed into the sex offenders prison bottom of the pile in prison but has such favor of god on his life that he rises up in a sex offenders prison so the the lead person of the prison he has his god-given gift and he interprets people's dreams and eventually makes it out of prison he sees his brothers years later when he's become the prime minister of that country and he holds the power of life or death over his, over his brothers who tried to kill him and sold him as a slave. What does he tell them? He says, what you meant for harm, God has made good. What you intended for harm, God has turned for good. We sing it, don't we, in that Aaron Key song, Sovereign Over Us. Even what the devil intends to harm us, you've turned it for our good. You've turned it for our good. That is what happens to us over time. As we persevere through suffering, we get character, we get hope. And Joseph, the hero of that story, then had great hope. He knew that God had rescued him from being a 17-year-old arrogant brat through his 20s, through the prison. 25 years later, he looks back and goes, what you meant for harm, God's turned for good. He was not disappointed And we are better off than Joseph, and this is where we're going to land. We're better off than any of the people in the Old Testament. We're better off than Abraham, the hero of chapter 4 of the book of Romans. Why? Because of this verse, verse 5 of Romans 5. Hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because of our experiences, because of what we've been through. No, hope doesn't disappoint us because if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've asked to be filled with God, then God has poured out his love into your hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given you. That's why the hope doesn't disappoint you, because it's backed up by an incredible interior relationship that guarantees where you're going. It guarantees your inheritance. Paul said it's like an engagement ring on your finger. The Holy Spirit is like an engagement ring on your finger. Guarantees that one day you're going to be wedded to the bridegroom in heaven. Jesus Christ as part of his bride, the church. It's a guarantee. You have an absolute hope. So if you're going through suffering, what should you do? We had this question last week in the Q&A, do you remember? And um, Tom asked her, and we had a little chat about it. And then a lady who was visiting us stood up, and she said, hugely movingly, I've nearly died two or three times in my life. Um, and 
I put my trust in God. And he's called me through. And actually the hope that I had didn't disappoint me. I put my trust in him. Now we don't get to say what the outcome's going to be. I can't look at Simon and say you're going to be prosperous on this earth. I can't tell you you're going to have the most amazing relationships on this earth. I can't say that the road before you will not be strewn with difficulty. Life is difficult. And mature people accept that fact and get on with it. What I can say is that the hope will not disappoint you. Consider two of the people who had hope that didn't disappoint them and the circumstance that they had hope in. Firstly, Stephen. Stephen, right at the start of the early church, is about to be killed by people picking up huge rocks and chucking them at him. Excuse Emma as exhibit A. (laughs) Um, um, He got stoned to death. Not in the 60s version. And as he was being stoned to death, the hope didn't disappoint him. Do you remember what he did? Have you read the book of Acts recently? He's down there on the floor and he looks up And he sees heaven open. And his face becomes a face like an angel's face. And he sees Jesus. And he knows where he's going. He's dying. (laughs) Nothing's working out in his life here on earth, if that's what he's holding on for. Not getting married, he's not got a future, he's not got a job ahead of him, he's not got anything ahead of him, he's got a few seconds ahead of him. And he can look up and go, that's where I'm going. Hope doesn't disappoint him. Second person in a garden of olives outside Jerusalem on Good Friday night, sweating blood out of his arms, saying, could I please go any other way than the way that you want me to go, God? Take this cup away from me. It's not working out how Jesus wants it on Good Friday. But he goes that way. He suffers, he perseveres, he gets character, He's perfected through suffering, we're told. Jesus gains character through going to the cross. And then he gets a hope. And he doesn't have the Holy Spirit with him in that time. Because he's separated from God. He goes through all that without the Spirit. We go through it with the Spirit, like Stephen. And it doesn't disappoint us. Romans 5, 3 to 5. We can boast in sufferings, rejoice in sufferings, in tribulations, in persecutions, in trials. We can rejoice in them because hope doesn't disappoint us. Why? Because God changes suffering into perseverance if you let him. And perseverance into character. Character into hope. And it's an incredible hope because it's a, it's a human being, if you like, inside you. It's Jesus inside you saying, this is going to be your inheritance forever. Keep going. No matter what they do or say, keep going. Now I finish, I just wanted to share one testimony. Somebody who's been through a horrific year came up to me earlier today and said, everything you were saying in your talk on this subject, I was just saying yes, yes, yes to. And for the last three weeks, I've realized that this is all true. 
I couldn't imagine going through what this dear person's been through this past year. But she'd come to realize that from the suffering, she'd gained perseverance, character, hope, and more space for the Holy Spirit to be at work in her. And it's producing incredible fruit for her. When you talk about the fact that, so with Stephen, as he dies, he knows where he's going. And that kind of then makes sense of the idea that death is not God's failure. It's simply the next step. But what if that person is not a Christian? Then how does that fit into the whole idea of uh, suffering being a pathway to something better for them? Thank you. That's that's a really good question. Um, So on the one hand... For, for Christians, which is who Paul's speaking to in this passage, um, suffering is, is not just something that randomly happens that you can try and get the best out of. It's, it's almost a badge of honor for Paul. He, he says he rejoices in suffering. In one, one passage he says, I want to know the Christ and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. It's, it's almost what he's, he's about saying. Like, Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. I want to really understand that so that I can be more like Jesus. You can't do the sort of hyper-blessing theology and get to know Jesus. Um, One of the the reasons we have to be careful with our songs, because most of them are either written in Sydney, West London, or California, where people's lives are so hunky-dory, cushy, nice, um, that it doesn't necessarily tell the whole story of the gospel. Uh, But what about those who, who don't know where they're going? Um, and that's the whole reason that Paul is suffering. Um, because he is compelled by Christ's love to share the gospel with them. Now, there are definitely benefits that people can acquire through suffering. Um, just almost in a sort of the Buddhist sort of thing. You know, you, you sort of, you, you, you try to overcome some of these issues. And, and, uh, but the... The Christian hope is one of God joining with you and transforming you through it. And, and essentially, um, I, I met a lady when I was doing street pastors who was trying out being a Buddhist. And uh, she'd been through a divorce, she'd lost her job, she'd lost her home recently, lost a whole load of things. And, and her way of trying to deal with it was basically to pretend none of it had happened. <laughs> There's a sort of this mind over matter. Um, I'm going to really focus on the positives coming out of my life now. And Christianity doesn't do that at all. It says, actually, life is difficult. Um, and you can give the difficulty to God. And that's a space that God finds it really easy to inhabit in your life. Remember, it said that it's hard for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. Because it's all sorted. The, the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, but where we have weaknesses, where we have suffering, that becomes our gift to God. Where we go, actually, I really need you here. Yes, you need him in all of it. That's just the bit you're aware of. Um, I think the big answer to your question is sometimes suffering can produce good results in some people, Christian or non-Christian. Oftentimes, it doesn't necessarily. Um, but with Jesus, it can be radically transformed, not just hidden away. What advice would you give to someone who feels like God is really far away, so they're in that place of suffering? Mm you know, 
they've heard this message. Yeah, there's perseverance maybe in character and hope, but what do you do in that place of actually God isn't coming through to me? I don't feel him in this. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. How, how do we come alongside each other when we're suffering? Which we all will suffer. Um, when we did the, the Job series, some of you were here for it, and there's this lovely idea of sitting Shiva, um, which is uh, seven days of just saying nothing, <laughs> sitting alongside someone and just being next to them. It's a great um, Jewish and biblical principle of shutting up and <laughs> being next to someone and just sort of, sort of like holding their hand. Um, and, and that's definitely one thing. Um, the, so oftentimes, the worst thing you can do is say, uh, I've learned six reasons why there's suffering in the world, and let me tell you <laughs> the six reasons while you're you know, worried about it infertility or worried about a relationship that's gone wrong or worried about your financial position sometimes it's oh suffering is really good it's going to get you great character <laughs> you, you, you know don't be surprised if you get a, a slap on both cheeks for that um, but what, what you what you can do is you listen to someone is just keep praying for them and actually the story of the the person I, I said I gave a test me earlier today had had a lot of people alongside her over the past uh, year and uh, and that alongsideness has made all the difference, I think. Um, I think as Christians, one of the real gifts is we're not supposed to be a Christian on our own. We're Christian in community. It's one of the reasons that the time at the end of this is so important. Getting to know each other, being in small groups, it helps us carry each other's burdens um, and walk with each other. Uh, how can we as Christians deal with the suffering that's going on at the moment in the world and how can we deal with that? As Christians. Yeah. Do you mean the big scale suffering of um, sort of geopolitical sort of suffering or? Um, hurricanes and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, disasters, things like that. Yeah. That's such a great question. Um, how, how do we deal with these, the huge things going, going on in the world? Um, I, think, I think one of the first things is, is we probably don't deal with them. Um, we are pretty limited <laughs> and finite people. Uh, I've got a lovely um, story from Becky Harcourt, who helps run New Wine. Um, and she tells the story of, of changing from thinking that she could change the whole world <laughs> um, to realizing that she just has to play the small part that God's called her to do. Um, and we're, we're called just to do the thing which is ours. And knowing the limits of your ability and the limits of your responsibility is, is a great starting point. And that being said, we can all make a, a huge difference, can't we, to different people? Um, we can get involved in famine relief. We can go on mission trips um, to, to increase exposure. We can campaign. We can talk. We can do all sorts of things to try and liberate things. Pressure on politicians to keep giving the 0.7% away um, to uh, developing countries and that sort of thing. There's, there's all sorts of things we can do. There's also a, a limit to what our responsibility level is. Um, I, I remember the huge tsunami that came around the millennium and the headline in the Telegraph the next day was the Archbishop of Canterbury. Um, and it was, he got a lot of criticism for this, um, but it was, it was possibly quite a good headline. And it says, the Archbishop says, in the face of the tsunami, how can there be a God? It's, it's, it's a fascinating headline to sort of deal with, because here's someone who's basically the top bloke, <laughs> sort of going, this, this stirs a sort of protest atheism in me. And actually, one of the things that I'd love us to think through is actually, you know, where is it all right for us to, to go, actually, this bit really is beyond, <laughs> beyond me. That there's something about 
watching children dying that makes me go, ah, really, God? <laughs> and crying out. Because that's what Jesus did, actually. He, he cries over Jerusalem and says, how long are you going to be like this? Now, Jesus also warned us, though. He said, look, don't be surprised if there are famines, earthquakes, hurricanes, uh, wars, rumors of wars. These things must happen. They're the beginning of what he calls birth pangs uh, before the world comes back to order again when he's going to restore all things, which is at the second coming of Jesus. And, and that's where the, the Bible always pushes us forward, saying there is going to be another coming of Jesus. He's going to come back to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. And his kingdom will one of uh, where the lion and the lamb can lie down together, where there'll be no more disasters. Um, and that's what we look forward to as Christians. So we're not, we're not just stuck in this world. We're not just stuck in our bodies, which are wasting away. We're also looking forward to a day when Jesus will come back, which is why the whole Bible finishes with one word. It says, come again, <laughs> Maranatha. Come, Lord. Because we're, we're people who aren't happy with this world as it is. We're crying out saying, please come and sort this mess out. That's what the Lord's Prayer means when it says, your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Like, sort it out, God. And we're allowed to shout, scream, and cry for him to do that.